I've often joked about how King David brought peace to his kingdom, to the nation of Israel, by killing anybody that opposed him. I mean, a great way to have peace is just to do away with all your enemies. And that's essentially what David did. His hands were so bloody, in fact, that when he wanted to build a temple for God, God said, well, you know, you're doing well to think that, but your hands are so bloody, you can't build my temple, but, but I'll let your son build my temple. So David was allowed to get all of the, the things together, the supplies organized and ready, but his hands were so bloody he wasn't able to build the temple. His idea was, well, peace will come at the edge of a sword. This fourth week of Advent, we're titling the message Peace, and we're actually going to see how Jesus brings peace, and it's really not too different from the way that David brought peace. He brings a peace by conquering. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in Luke 4 today, verses 16 through 37. Looking at this theme of peace. Now Jesus, in this part of the Gospel of Luke, he has been baptized. Holy Spirit has descended on him in the form of a dove, this anointing at his baptism. He's gone to the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And this is very early on in his public ministry. He's beginning his public ministry. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he's at his hometown, Nazareth, where he was raised, and he essentially goes to church. His custom was on the Sabbath, their Sabbath, which was Saturday, to go to the synagogue, and they would read Scripture, and somebody would expound on Scripture, and Jesus is going, and today apparently is his day to read the Scripture. So verse 17 says, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, let me explain this to you a little bit. So, Jesus is there, he's in the synagogue, and he's handed, it says the book, really this is a scroll. So it would have been rolled up. And the chapter and the verse divisions that you have in your Bible, those did not come along till much later. So Jesus would have taken this scroll, scroll of Isaiah, he would have unrolled it, and he would have gone to that place where he's about to read here. Verse 18 of our passage today says, this is Jesus. He's reading from the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now what Jesus is doing is, out of all of Isaiah, he is reading from mostly Isaiah 61 with a few things pulled in from some other places in Isaiah. But this passage that he is reading would have been kind of a lightning rod passage. It would have been a passage that when these Jewish people in the first century, they heard this passage read, their ears would have perked up. They would have gone, whoa, what's going on here? Because you got to understand it had been some 400 years since they had had a, a prophet of God to deliver God's word to them, to lead them in the things of God. Now, John the Baptist had been on the scene de- declaring prepare the way of the Lord. But we're talking about a, around a 400-year period of mostly silence from God. 
And when he's reading this, when Jesus is reading this, there's a lot of key words here that would have caused them to perk up. What I mean by that is in verse 18 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. In their minds, they understood that the Spirit of God at this time was given mostly to prophets, priests, and kings to fulfill specific tasks. Now, this side of the cross, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. As you put your faith in Jesus, you're filled with his Spirit. Every believer, in fact, in the book of Romans, a good definition uh, of a Christian is one who's filled by the Spirit of God. Because it says, he who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not his. So therefore, a good definition of a Christian is one who's filled with God's Spirit. So now, this side of the cross, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus and is saved is filled with the Spirit. In those times, if the Spirit descended and rested upon somebody, it was usually a prophet, priest, or king, and you better pay attention because something was about to happen. All right, so you understand the stage here? So when Jesus says, the Spirit is upon me, he's anointed me, they would have gone, uh, what? what's he talking about? What's going on here? Uh, Jesus also had just been anointed at his baptism. That had literally happened. Spirit descended upon him like a dove, anointed him. Then he says to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind. These are miracles. This is the speech of freedom and of miracle working that they had not been seeing. So they're going, okay, what's going on here? To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is most likely a reference to the year of Jubilee where uh, every uh, 50 years, 49 and 50 years, there was, this prophet, there was this process where because God did not want the Jewish people to enslave one another, if you had gone into abject poverty and you basically made yourself a, a servant, a slave of one of your other brethren, so basically it was either starve or become a slave, uh, you'd become a slave so you could at least be provided for. There was also a process, uh, process whereby anybody who was in bondage in that way was to be free the year of Jubilee. And all debts were forgiven. Because God did not want them to keep each other enslaved. And so this could be a reference to that. But what I want you to understand is there's a lot of key words here that when they hear this, they're going, what is going on? What is he talking about? And look, verse 20, it says, then he closed the book. And gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So he's probably in the seat of the teacher, the, so to say, rabbi for that day. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. So they understand, okay, he has read a very significant passage. He's making some sort of a claim through reading this passage. It says he got their attention. Their eyes are fixed on him. They're going, what's about to happen in church today? And look what he does, verse 21. He began saying to them, Today, this scripture is what? Fulfilled in your hearing. Now that was kind of a mic drop moment. Because this is a scripture that they had put their hope on. This was something they were looking for. This was something they're anticipating. So for Jesus to say, yeah, everything that you're hoping in, you're waiting for, you're anticipating, it's fulfilled in me. That would have been like a boom, mic drop, what's going on? just drop the bomb on them and they realize that we'll see as we go through the passage but do you know what it means for the scripture to be fulfilled what it means is uh, when it that greek word is used very literally it, it literally means the filling up of a vessel like of a jar with oil and they fill it up to the top 
That's what it's saying is that, yes, Isaiah's prophecy was for the people of Isaiah's day, but that prophecy was also pointing towards a future fulfillment. And what Jesus is saying is, now that I am here, it's filled up. That prophecy that was given finds its full meaning in me, in your presence, here and now. So to them, this would have been a very shocking statement because essentially Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the anointed one. He's claiming to be the fulfillment of all that they've been looking for. But that, before we get to their response, I just want to focus on his claim for a minute. And, and I want to give you our first point today, and that is this. Jesus is the good news that brings peace to the weary heart. Listen, Jesus himself he is the good news. You don't have the gospel, the good news, apart from Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God. He's the word of God embodied. He is the good news. And Jesus himself is the good news that brings peace to the weary heart. I remember at a previous church I served in, there was a, a man in that church that was in his about 40s or so, and his parents had retired and had moved to the area to be close to family. And uh, his parents had been retired for some time. They were getting older. And he said, hey, would you go talk to my dad? He said, my dad is a good man. I had a good dad. We had a good family growing up. He's lived a good life. I just, I don't think he's saved. And when I try to talk to him about it, I just, I can't get anywhere. I can't get any traction with him. So I said, well, sure. So at that point, we had a visitation program. So I said, hey, I've got my visit for the night. And I had another church member with me. And we went, and we went and visited his mom and his dad. Had a great conversation. Indeed, they were wonderful people, very pleasant people, very kind people. Had lived a great life, enjoyed talking to them. But we were able to turn the conversation to spiritual things. And as he had been getting older in life, and as he had been reflecting on his life, it had caused him to think about spiritual things more. And so that was a very natural avenue for me to share the gospel with him. And as I shared the gospel with him, and I, I shared with him how it's not about our goodness that we're accepted before God, but it is about receiving the gift that God gives us in Jesus, that Jesus has lived not just a good life, a perfect, sinless life. And that he had gone to the cross and taken the penalty for our sins and raised from the dead for our justification that through Jesus we could be forgiven, made right with God and children of God and filled with the Spirit and the hope of heaven. Man, it, he broke down. There was something about it in that moment where he realized that's what I've been missing my entire life. And he said, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I need to be saved. And I said, well, you know, it's not about a special prayer or or saying it a certain way, or you know, standing on one leg and holding your tongue a certain way. It's not about all that. It's just about your faith, believing in Jesus, and you will be saved. And I said, well, let me pray with you. And he was just having trouble finding the word. So I said, okay. I was like, look, I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer. But only repeat it if it is really what you believe. This is your prayer. This is you confessing your faith in Jesus. It's not about what I pray. It's about your faith. I was very clear on that over and over again. So I led him in a prayer. I prayed a sentence at a time, and he repeated after me, professing his faith in Jesus Christ to save him. And towards the end, I just felt the Lord prompt me to say, thank you for saving my soul. And as he prayed that, he just broke. Not, not with grief, but with joy. An overwhelming sense of peace came over him. 
And as we got done praying, his demeanor was completely changed. And he said, that's what I've been missing my entire life. Amen? And what we must understand is that in that moment, what did he receive? He received Jesus. And Jesus brought him peace. So again, what I said today is this. Jesus is the good news. He himself is the good news that brings peace to the weary heart. He told them, all of this that you've been looking for, it's fulfilled today. What he's saying in between the lines is, in me. Because I'm here. Now it's fulfilled. But what about us today? Many of you are saying, well, I'm already a believer. I already have that. Well, do you? What about the situation with your child or the situation with your marriage or the situation at work or the finances that are robbing you of your peace? What about those situations that you're facing today? The answer is still the same. Jesus himself is your peace to all of those situations that you're facing in life today. Here's what you need to remember. You absolutely must remember this. Right now is the battle. If you are alive and living and breathing, guess what? Now is the battle. And the battle is in the mind. Satan wants to do everything he can to get you focused on people that have wronged you so that bitterness will steal your peace. Satan wants to do everything he can to get you worried about what may or may not happen in the future. So instead of knowing Jesus, you're obsessing about the future and he robs you of your peace. But you know what happens often in the Bible? It talks about set your mind on things above. It talks about thinking on things that are holy and pure. It it talks about our mind a lot and meditating on the things that are good. And so today, if your peace has been robbed, it hasn't changed from when you were saved to today. What you need is Jesus, to think long on Jesus to learn to love Jesus, to sing unto Jesus, to give unto Jesus. It's to know him. That's not changed. And as you know him, he will bring the peace to your heart that you need. There's nothing that's changed about that, nor will that ever change. Because let me say it this way. If you remove Jesus, do you have any hope of peace? No. So pursue him and you will know peace. Jesus is the good news that brings peace to the weary heart. But we need to move on. Verse 22 where we left off. Let's look at their response. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So first of all, they're basically going, "Ah, that's a big claim for somebody that was born and raised right here in this town. We know what family you're from. We know who you are. That's a bold claim to be throwing something like that down in church, Jesus. Are you sure about that? And then look what his response is. He said to them, you're surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard in Capernaum, do also here in your country. He's saying, look, I I knew you were going to be skeptical. And I know ultimately you're going to look for signs and wonders. You're going to tell me to prove it. But we know from reading the rest of the Gospels, it didn't matter what miracles he did. They still weren't going to believe. And he knew that as well. So he's calling them out. This turns into a confrontation. And then he said, I say to you, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Jesus says, I know how you're going to be. 
Verse 25, but I tell you, truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, why would he bring that up? Doesn't that seem kind of random? It's like, is he chasing a rabbit? No, he's making a point. He's saying, you remember in the days of Elijah? Elijah was a man who worked many miracles as well. He was a prophet. The Spirit of God was upon him. And there was a drought. In fact, that drought was a punishment of God upon the people of that land. And he says, in Elijah, the prophet of God, anointed by the Spirit, he could have been sent to anybody. But he was actually sent to a Phoenician woman, an outsider, a Gentile, not a Jew, and a widow. Basically, Elijah was sent to the last person that they would have thought he would have gone to. And Elijah went to this widow. She was... Um, at the well, he said, get me some water to drink. And she got him some water. And he said, and, and, and make me some bread. I'm, I'm weary from my journey. And she said, well, I only have a little bit of flour and oil left. I'm going to go make some bread. My son and I are going to eat it. And then we're basically going to starve to death. We're going to die after that. And he said, no, 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 no. Make me the bread first. <laughs> he was like, what? Did you not just hear what I said? But she perceived that he was a man of God. And she did. And you know what? He came to live with her. And her son and the jar of flour and the jar of oil never ran dry. God provided for them. And then he goes on, Jesus says, verse 27, we're gonna, Jesus says, verse 27, we're going to explain why that matters in just a second. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and Elisha followed Elijah, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Again, another case where there were many lepers during Elisha's day, but guess who the one leper was that Elisha cleansed? It was, again, a foreigner, a Syrian, uh, that was an outsider that nobody would have expected. And what Jesus is saying, and they get it because they get, like, fighting mad here in just a second. We'll see. What he's saying is, this scripture is fulfilled whether you believe it or not. But I already knew that your hearts were hard and you wouldn't believe it, so I'm going to go to those who will. That's essentially what he's telling them. And they know that's what he's telling them. Because look what they do. Look at verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with what? Wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Now, when you stoned someone to death in ancient times, it was not like you picked up some pebbles and were like, you know, trying to skip rocks at them. No, what they did is they would take them to a cliff, which they've done here for Jesus, and they would throw them off a high spot for the purpose of breaking bones, breaking legs, hurting them when they fall to where they're basically made lame from the fall to where all they can do is lay there while the rest of the crowd takes large rocks, as big a rocks as they can throw, and basically bury this person alive, pelting them with huge rocks. And so they have gotten so mad at what Jesus has said, they're considering it blasphemy, that they're like, we're going to kill them right now. So they take them out to stone them to death. I mean, how's that for a day at church, Right? I mean, this was their Sabbath worship. It goes from reading the prophet Isaiah to like, let's kill this guy. I'm just grateful I hadn't had one of those days. Uh, you know, it can always be worse, right? 
Uh, and then verse 30, it says, Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now, how did that happen? Well, we don't know. It doesn't make it clear here. But the point was, it wasn't God's time for him to die, so he didn't. He just passed right through them and went his way. You know, as I, I thought about that, um, I was just, it's really sad to realize that God was in their midst and they rejected him. That brings us to our second point today is this. Not everyone receives the peace God offers. Many reject it for their own sense of control. Not everyone receives the peace God offers. Now, why would I set those two in contrast? Many reject it for their own sense of control. The reason I put those in contrast is because true peace actually comes through surrender. And you know what surrender is? It's giving up your rights. It's giving up control. You know, I have a friend that I grew up with that I've just watched him do this his whole life. Best of my knowledge, he's not a believer. And here's how he tries to make life work. He thinks if he has the right job, the right amount of money, the right house, and the right woman in his life, and the right cars, and the right hobbies, it's like you pull all this stuff together, he's waiting for something magical to click in life to just, life will be great then. And you know what happens? He keeps trying to pull it together and things just slip through his fingers and things break apart and they fall apart and he can't ever get it all together. And it never happens. And it never will. Because we weren't made to make our own peace. We weren't made to satisfy ourselves. We were made for a God who alone satisfies the weary soul. We were made to surrender to a God who is our peace. Many of you say, well, I don't live like that. Don't be so sure. There are many Christians that have just Christianized that philosophy of peace. Yes, I've trusted Jesus. I'm following him. I'm not into all the things of the world. But many believers basically take Jesus and say, okay, now that I have you, God, you help me get all the other things that I want. We don't say it that way, but that's what we do. And you know when that's revealed, if that's your heart, it's when things don't go your way or you lose things, how do you respond? If things don't go the way you think they should and you get mad at God, you've just revealed that you think God is a genie, not the Lord of the universe. And there are many Christians that put their faith in Christ. They're truly believers. But their view of Jesus is not Lord of the universe. It's, okay, now I have the power in my corner to help me get everything else I want. Jesus does not play games. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will rip every idol from your life that needs to be ripped from your life so that you will know him as your true and lasting peace. Not everyone receives the peace God offers. Many reject it for their own sense of control, and that's not just unbelievers. That's Christians as well. But let's continue on. We need to keep moving. Verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. So that, that day of church is over. He'd had enough, 
and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So he goes to a different area, Capernaum, and he goes back into the synagogue, and he's teaching them. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Well, of course, because his life backed it up. He lived a life of holiness, a life that was in obedience to the word. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. What another crazy day at church. One day they're trying to kill the preacher. Another time a demon shows up. Look at this. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. I mean, church was exciting back then. Let us alone. What have I to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demons, they're saying, hey, we know who you are, and you have the power to destroy us. Is that what you're here to do? But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. That's, that gets you attention. Look at what they did, verse 36. They were all what? Amazed and spoke among themselves. So they having a little bit of a different response to Jesus than the other synagogue. They were amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now that brings me to my third and final point. We're going to... Uh, wrap this up in just a few minutes so we can move into our Lord's Supper. But third and final point is this. The peace of Jesus is a conquering peace. Much like David, but, but different than David. Jesus brings peace to your heart by conquering. By defeating enemies. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, you know, have you ever been at a grocery store or a place where a parent is pushing a child around in a stroller or maybe the shopping cart, and that child has just had enough of being in the stroller or the grocery cart, and they just start to scream, and they're fussing, and they're raising cane, and, you know, it's awkward for everybody around, right? You're like, oh, my goodness, the kid is screaming. It's got to stop. And you take a, a sucker, take a big blow pop, right? You take a sucker, and you can give it to that child. You give that child a sucker and guess what the child can't do child can't kick and scream and enjoy that sucker at the same time right it's just science (laughs) is that peace when you hand that child a sucker no it's appeasement because will it last when the sucker's gone probably not and what have you actually taught that child if you kick and scream enough I'll give you what you want so you've actually moved in the wrong direction in the long term right there. It's appeasement, not peace. I think that many of us are settling for appeasement. And we have yet to learn what true peace is in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do to the demon-possessed man? Look at it. He said, be quiet, come out of him. He conquered him. He said, you are under the authority of Satan, and now you're going to come under my authority. And he conquered the demons, and he said, leave this man alone. And he brought that man under his lordship. He says, now you're under my control. And that man no longer was possessed by that demon, and he was in his right mind, and he was what? At peace 
Because of what? Because he came to know Jesus and he was conquered by him. But we don't like that word conquered because that means that we're surrendering or we're submitting to something. But again, the problem is we were made to be conquered by the God who made us. We were made for him to rule in our hearts and in our lives. And when we're conquered by the right thing, the right person, when we're conquered by God, then we're actually living how we were made to live. Then we'll know peace. What about our fears? What about our worries? What about our doubts? What about our anxieties? These are things that when they come into our life, they conquer us. If you're perpetually afraid, if you're perpetually anxious, if you're perpetually angry, if you're perpetually struggling with some sin, you are conquered by that thing. And what you need is you need a new conqueror. You need Jesus to come in and to, like that demon-possessed man, to defeat your enemy and to conquer your heart. The peace that Jesus brings is a peace that defeats things like selfishness. Jesus comes in and he conquers the selfishness in your heart and makes it to where you want to serve others. He conquers that sin that nobody else knows about so that you can be free from your bondage to serve him. He comes in, he conquers our rebellion where we want to do it our way and we ruin our families and the lives around us and we begin to say, Lord, I want it your way. I wrote this down and I want to read it to you. Get it just right. It is only as we face the rebellion of our hearts with Jesus that we can enter into peace. Jesus will conquer our hearts and bring us peace. Let me read it one more time. It's only as we face the rebellion of our hearts with Jesus. Not excuses. Not blaming others. Not I'll do it tomorrow, but it's only as we face the rebellion of our own hearts with Jesus, who is gracious, who is merciful, who is kind, that we can enter into peace. Jesus will conquer our hearts, and he will bring us peace. So again, this morning, Jesus is the good news. He himself is the good news that brings peace to the weary heart. But not everybody will receive that peace, and it's sad that there are even those who are believers that don't walk in that peace because we're settling for something less. The peace that Jesus offers is an absolute conquering peace, and aren't you grateful for it? Aren't you grateful for a God who loves you enough where he's going to meddle in your life? And say, let's get these things that I did not design you for out of here so that you can really know me and live the life that I created you to live. So that you can really walk in the peace that surpasses all understanding. So that you can really make my glory known to the rest of the world. Aren't you glad that you have a God that is dedicated to conquering our rebellious hearts? Aren't you glad? I know I am. And he is so committed to it that he stepped down from heaven. He walked among us. He lived a sinless life. He went to a cross and his commitment to conquering our rebellion 
and he died on a cross in my place for my sin, then rising from the grave that he could look at me and say, now, now, now we can deal with all of that that's robbing you of your peace. Now you can know me. Now you can be forgiven. Now you can walk with me in peace. I'm so glad that God loves us enough to not leave us where we're at, but to conquer our hearts through the cross of Jesus Christ. As we begin to prepare for the Lord's Supper, three things I want to get you to think about. As we take the bread and we take the fruit of the vine, what we are doing is we are remembering and anticipating. We are remembering that it is Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was shed, that we might have peace with God, right? Because this has taken place, we can have peace. There, there is no true peace with God apart from the cross. So as we observe these elements, we are reminded that this is why I have peace. This is why I can have peace with God and with one another. But we're also anticipating that day when the Prince of Peace returns. And, and the struggles and the trials and, and the things that bother us in this life, you know what they can also serve as? They can serve as reminders that there's better to come. Man, I can't wait for Jesus to return and I won't have to deal with this anymore. But the battle's still today. Fight the battle today and be reminded that, hey, Man, we've got so much better to come in Jesus Christ. So first of all, as we observe the Lord's Supper, remember and yet anticipate. The second thing is to examine our own hearts. Paul says that we're to examine our own hearts, that there were many that were sick and asleep. That means dead because they were coming to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were dishonoring the cross. So how do we do that? Well, we say, Lord, if there's be anything in me that I need to confess to be right with you today, I want to come right to your table today. So we're going to have a time and a song response in a moment to examine our hearts. You know, as I've been examining my own heart this week and preparing for the Lord's Supper, you know, I just I have something as we're looking forward to this new year, just a commitment in my own heart, my own mind, is this. You know, I believe our church, this church has been committed to the Word of God for a long time. And, and that's not going to change. And it's sad to say that that is becoming more and more of a minority in this world. To actually be committed to the Word of God. To believe in the Word of God. To hold up the authority of the Word of God. That's, that's becoming more rare, which is crazy. And I believe we have a church that is committed to pray. We have people that are praying right now during this service. And, and I believe we really want to be a church. We're becoming a church that wants to reach our community and the world for Jesus. And because we are the body of Christ, because we are Jesus' body, and because we are committed to God's word, and we are committed to prayer, and because we are desiring to become more and more a people to reach others with the gospel, I just believe the best is yet to come for the First Baptist Church of Liberty City. And so for me, in my mindset, I only want to be found speaking things that are life-giving, things that are gracious, things that anticipate what God has in store for us. Yes, we have a history. We have good things that have happened. We have challenges that have taken place. Guess what? Every church does. But I don't want to live in that. I want to live in, God, what are you doing now? And what can I do to be a part of the 
redemptive work that you're doing right now. And you know what? That's something to be excited about. That's something to invest your life in. That's something to give to. That is something to say, Lord Jesus, when you return, I want to be found doing your work in your body of Christ, known as the First Baptist Church, Liberty City. So we need to, again, I think even as this new year approaches, to examine our hearts and say, man, are we committed to the body of Christ that God's called us to? And are we seeking his face for what he wants to do through us in this world? I think that's a part of it. And then thirdly is um, it's open yet closed in the sense that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in Christ, you're filled with his spirit, man, we would love for you to observe the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, If you haven't, we'd ask you to refrain from observing the elements. Sit and watch and and pray with us, yes, but don't observe the elements because if you don't yet know Jesus, you can't participate at his table. But week is we're giving you an opportunity to know him. We're going to sing a song of response in just a minute. That song of response is to say, come to Jesus. Come know him who is peace. Turn from your way and everything else you've been trusting in and believe upon Jesus and be saved. And then come to his table and thank him for the peace that he brings to your heart. Would you please stand with me as we sing a song of response in just a moment. Again, this is our opportunity to respond to God, to his word. To say, Lord Jesus, I want you to conquer my heart in every way. I want you to be my peace in every way. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a a song of response, and I'll be down front. And if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ and you don't have his spirit dwelling in you, man, come to know Jesus today. I would love to kneel right here at this altar and pray with you as you put your faith in him, as God saves you. Let's pray and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that that you're near And you're committed to to us knowing you. To knowing the peace that you bring. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless now this time of response for the glory of your great name. Save the lost. Courage the brokenhearted. Convict us of our sin. And help us to know your peace in a greater way than we did before we came in here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.